Welcome to Christchurch Chislehurst podcast. This one was given by Dave on the 12th of January 2020, which is as close to Epiphany as we could get. It's about the baptism of Christ and how Christ insisted that he was baptized by John. passage. We've been very Anglican today. We're using the baptism of Christ, which is in the, the Anglican uh, year. It's actually good sometimes to, to look at the structure of the, of the church year and think about different aspects of it. And uh, this, this morning is the celebration of the baptism of Christ. So we're going to read the story from uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. If you want to follow it in the Bible there, it's on page 967. I think it's probably going to be up on the screen as well. And uh, the, the story of Jesus' baptism is recorded in different ways in all of the Gospels. It's an important part of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. There's this long gap, isn't there, in the Bible when you have the birth of Jesus and lots of stories surrounding that. Um, and then a brief mention of Jesus when uh, his parents nearly got social services around because they lost him in Jerusalem. And then a long gap when we don't know much at all about what Jesus was doing. We suspect he was working with uh, his father as a carpenter. And then here he is at the age of 30, in the midst of John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus appears. So Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that you will enlighten us today, like those wise men were enlightened we think of the epiphany and of the the revelation a fresh revelation of who jesus is we pray that you would enlighten us this morning you'll give us an epiphany a revelation of who jesus is as we study your word this morning for jesus sake amen Um, a swedish bishop was coming to the end of his ministry it was decided it was time to paint his portrait for the gallery of bishops in the palace. The diocese rather bravely decided to commission a modern artist. So he painted the portrait and then the great day of the unveiling arrived. The painting was uncovered in front of the bishop and a group of dignitaries. Everyone went quiet. On the canvas were hundreds of abstract patterns, colors, shapes, and the vague outline of a head right in the middle. They very quietly said, Bishop, what do you think? 
He replied, Matthew 14, 27, Take heart, be not afraid, it is I. There was some delight that he actually had a good sense of humour about it. But in terms of identity, you may not recognise your identity when you look at a picture of yourself or a picture that somebody else has drawn of yourself or you see yourself on Facebook or whatever it might be. But the baptism of Jesus gives a very clear sign of Jesus' identity. We don't know what he looks like. That doesn't really matter in many ways. But Jesus' identity is very clearly seen in his baptism. And it would have been witnessed by many people around at the time. And for each of us, our baptism tells us really who we are. Because what God said, the Father said to Jesus in his baptism was not, right, now go out and do something useful with your life, or come on, get on with it, go and do some miracles and some teaching. The Father simply said to Jesus, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And that's Jesus' identity. Loved by the Father, the Son of God, deeply loved. Before he's done anything, before he's done any miracles or healings or anything, that's his identity, and that's our identity as baptised people of Christ. Our identity is that we're loved by God, and that's a good place to start. <coughs> now, we're beginning not just a new year, are we, but a new decade, and uh, many of us of, of a certain age, I'm counting myself in this, may be astonished to realise that it's 20 years since the celebration of the millennium. Can you remember where you were 20 years ago, celebrating the millennium? Um, anyone ever visit uh, the O2 when it was the Millennium Dome? Did anyone ever go and visit that? Did anyone regret visiting the Millennium Dome? <laughs> we got free tickets from a friend of mine, and when I came out, I thought, I'm very glad I didn't have to pay for that, because for me, for me, that was one of the big disappointments of the Millennium, but uh, I much appreciate it now as the O2. I think that was a much better option, using it as a concert venue. But what has changed in these 20 years? Those of us who are old enough to sort of reflect back on on that length of time. Mobile phones and their endless avenues of distraction that dominate people's lives in a way we could never have dreamed of that 20 years ago, could we? We could never have dreamed of the power of the mobile phone to distract people and capture their attention. That's a big change. That has impacted our lives probably more than we would give it credit for, actually, in terms of our attention span and what we focus on in our lives. Words like climate change, fake news, post-truth, gender fluidity, these are phrases and words that are gradually becoming quite deeply impacting our society and making us almost have to play catch-up to think, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us as a community? What does it mean for us as a church to try and keep up with some of these concepts and ideas that are being thrown at us so quickly that the, the speed of change, somebody has said, in the last 10 or 20 years is greater than it has ever been throughout history. And we are playing catch-up constantly as individuals and as Christians and as a church. Politics nationally and worldwide has changed beyond recognition, hasn't it? I know politics has always been a funny thing and the ups and downs of world leaders and so on, but. It, it, it's really changed a lot in the last 20 years compared to perhaps the times before that. And the church, we're told, in the West certainly, is in still continues to be in a state of decline. 
and yet there is hope, and I still have hope. And I think for me, uh, for Kath and I, one of the biggest things for us, certainly in church terms, was being able to visit a part of the world last summer in Tanzania where the church is growing rapidly. But there's no fear about decline because people are becoming Christians so quickly. People from the Islamic community and from the Maasai community, and I know that's true in many, many parts of Africa, many other parts of the world. But we're struggling a bit in the West. But I still have hope because even in our society that is frantically busy and overstimulated, whether it's by mobile phones or anything else, I have hope when I see 150 people who still want to come and sing carols with us just before Christmas and 650 people who want to come on Christmas Eve for the Chris Dingle services. I have hope. And I know we're not alone in that. I speak to other church leaders who say, over Christmas time, churches are full of people. Despite everything else that's going on, despite all the other distractions. And I think that no matter how much our society changes, no matter how much our technology changes, there remains within the heart of every human being a search for meaning and a search for purpose and a desire to worship something greater than themselves. They may not be able to pin it down and identify it, but there's that longing. It's within our DNA as human beings to find meaning and purpose and something to worship. And they may not use that word worship, but everyone's looking for something to, to be in awe of that's greater than they are. And perhaps that's just one of the reasons why people come at different times of the year. And it is helpful to have an understanding of some of the more deep-seated changes that seem to have taken place in our society, in our culture, in Western culture, to remain confident in the power of the gospel as we begin a new decade. We need to be confident that the gospel hasn't changed, that Jesus hasn't changed. There may be massive changes happening very quickly all around us, but Jesus isn't phased by it, and he doesn't change. I've been reading a little bit from a, an Australian uh, church leader and cultural commentator called Mark Sayer, who's been writing quite extensively about some of these changes and his various podcasts as well. And he points out two major strands which now seem to influence, from his perspective, that influence the culture of the West. He suggests that there's a, been a, a, a massive increase, as we probably are aware of this, of, of consumerism and capitalism. But at the same time, there's a pulling down of many of the traditions and structures which formerly maintained a sense of purpose and identity for people. So lots of things are being pulled down that we would have relied on and said this is a very clear structure in our society. They're disappearing, they're being pulled away, and at the same time, consumerism and the, the freedom of choice is increasing all the time. And he writes, uh, he suggests that um, a new generation, a rising generation, are seeking that freedom of individualism and, and pleasure within all of that, more than anything else. The desire to be free and to be an individual and not let anybody tell you what to do. And we're aware of it, we can see it. And he says, the individual offered unparalleled consumer choice, the ability to construct an identity, to grasp a bold new future of freedom and opportunity through accelerating technology. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But, he says, this desire and expectation of freedom without limits is creating fear and loneliness, anxiety, paralysis. 
and I don't know how much you're aware of it, but when I, when I talk to my own children who are sort of late teens, early to mid-twenties, and a lot of their friends are experiencing these symptoms of this unbridled freedom and choice within our society to say, go and do whatever you want. There's no limit to what you can do. It's not helping. It's making people feel anxious and fearful. Combined, I guess, with the, the whole mobile phone technology that every time you look at it, every 10 seconds, somebody's doing something different. Oh, and it's the, the fear, of, fear of missing out, isn't it? FOMO, fear of missing out. You see something, oh, well, I shouldn't really be doing this. I should be doing what they're doing. And that's affecting people's careers and jobs and, and the prospect of getting a job. I, I don't know if I choose that job, I'll be missing out on something over here. And this unbridled freedom is not helping our society to grow. And Sayer suggests that human beings at a basic level need three things. They, need, they do need an element of freedom. And for some people, there's no freedom at all. And of course, you go to some parts of the world, freedom is incredibly restricted. They need freedom. We need a sense of purpose or meaning. And we need a sense of belonging. We need a sense of community. We need to be free, but we also need a sense of purpose and meaning, and we need to belong somewhere. And he suggests that Western society has completely overdosed on freedom. Now, I don't know about you, but you walk into a supermarket and you think, I want to buy some cereal or I want to buy some coffee. Well, there's not, there's not just one choice, is there? <laughs> it's very different when you go into a, a well, you call it a shop in Tanzania. They've got a jar of coffee that you can buy. <laughs> that go into Tesco or Sainsbury's, does anyone ever feel overwhelmed by the choices? And then you look at all the different price matching and things, you think, hang on, am, am I getting a good deal by, by doing the two-for-one offer, or is actually, would I be better off? And the overwhelming choices that we have to make. In fact, this has been written about, that, that, um, that too much choice does create anxiety. And we end up thinking, I, I don't know which one to get. <laughs> You know, you put that into, into bigger terms and, you know, buying a car or buying a house or whatever it might be, there's too much choice. We're given too much freedom. And he says we are overdosing on freedom to the point where purpose and meaning and belonging have really suffered. They're, they're, being, they're being pushed out because everybody wants to be free to do what they want all the time. So how do we articulate the gospel in a culture that is changing so rapidly and where these things are, 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 are growing out of control. How do we articulate the gospel? How can we be confident in the gospel in such a culture? Well, some of what we see, the analysis of what we've just very briefly spoken about, there's so much more I could say about this, and there have been some very good books and things written about it. Do investigate. Um, it's played out in conversations that we might have with friends or neighbours or colleagues at work who do have this desire inside for purpose and meaning and they do want to worship something bigger than themselves but many of them would say, well I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. Has anyone come across that? I'm quite a spiritual person but don't let me anywhere near religion. So people acknowledge that there is a spiritual element to their lives but they don't want to commit to the religion that might help them a bit more to, to put that into practice. And I think it's because religion in this culture nowadays, for a lot of people, it represents all the aspects of the way that the culture is going that they don't want. They assume that it's going to limit their freedom. Religion will just box me in. It will limit my freedom to make choices. 
religion will stop me from having unbridled consumerism, you know, impacting my life. It might provide some boundaries that I don't want because I want to be completely free. I don't want religion to, to bind me up. And perhaps religion also affirms some of the more traditional approaches to community and to relationships. And they say, we don't want any of this anymore. We don't want you to tell us how to run our family or how to, how to have a relationship. I'll do it how I want. Complete freedom. And so religion for a lot of people represents that. So, just by looking at this short passage, <laughs> I want to try and pick out three, three ways that the account of Jesus' baptism, which also looks at some other aspects of the, of the gospel message, can redress this, this imbalance that we've now got, where there's this ridiculous amount of freedom and, and a lack of purpose and a lack of belonging in our society. So, if we just have a quick look at this passage, the first we see of Jesus as a man, as I said at the beginning, is of him coming to the Jordan River to ask John to baptise him. And they were cousins, so John knew who Jesus was and he would have recognised him. Now, John is used to baptising people because he's spoken a message of repentance. Uh, he witnesses people confessing their sins and he takes them into the water of the Jordan River. But to have Jesus, who's identity Jesus, uh, John knows, come to him for baptism is quite shocking for John. He says, what are you, what are you doing? I should, be, I should be baptized by you. So what's going on? And Jesus says, no, it's, it's, it's okay, let, let it be so. This is fulfilling all righteousness. It's, it's bringing us into a right relationship with God. It's the right thing to do. Jesus hasn't sinned and he doesn't need to confess and repent. But what he has done and will continue to do in his life and continues to do with us now is to, is to be human and to enter into the messy, broken, sinful world where although he won't do ever, ever do any wrong, he will be affected by the wrongdoing of the world. And in being baptised, he identifies himself with humanity in need of a fresh new start. He identifies himself with us as he did in so many different ways as a human being. And in baptism, a person, if it's a person old enough to do this, they will publicly acknowledge their dependence upon God by coming under God's authority, their need of salvation through the work of Jesus on the cross. And if a child is baptised, the parents make that public declaration and promise to bring their child up in the Christian community. And Jesus here is making a public demonstration in great humility of his dependence upon God the Father. And it indicates the beginning of his purpose and his mission. Just as baptism for us indicates the beginning of our purpose and mission in this world. Jesus received a very particular and unique calling and anointing from God when he was baptised. But we too, when we submit to Christ and we are his followers, we're not just receiving the freedom that comes with that to, to in inherit eternal life, but we're also embracing a really strong sense of purpose and meaning and direction, which will, to some extent, limit our freedom to do whatever we want, won't it? We have to do that. We can't just say, well, I want all the freedom that God's got to give me, but if the purpose and the meaning and the, you know, the calling side of it gets too difficult, then I'll, I'll ditch that and I'll just say, no, I want the freedom bit. 
God does set us free, but he also gives us a job to do because we need both. We need the freedom that he offers, but we need a sense of purpose and calling. And God calls, equips, and anoints us to be his representatives. And sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes that really restricts the things that we'd like to do. Does God say, no, you need to stick with this? But we begin an adventure, we continue an adventure and an occupation of being ambassadors of Christ. That's how Paul described it. You are now ambassadors of Christ. Stick to that calling. Stick to that sense of purpose. It won't always feel like you're free, but you are free. You're free because God has set you free. And we're charged with taking and living out the gospel each day. We can declare in prayer, Lord, I come under your authority. I accept the sense of purpose and direction that you've given me. I accept that you've set me free as well, but what, what do you want me to do today? Not, I'll just do whatever I please, but Lord, what do you want me to do today? What are you calling me to do? So that's the first thing that we see in the baptism of Jesus, and, and it's reflected in all of our baptisms, is that we're, we're given that sense of purpose and direction. So we know what we're meant to do with our lives. We're meant to be ambassadors of Christ. So secondly, belonging. The moment of Jesus' baptism is very powerful. It's one of the few times in Scripture you'll notice the Trinity all in one go at any given point. In, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit descends on the Son of God and the Father speaks from heaven. All three parts of the Trinity there in that moment in the baptism. And Jesus had a fresh filling and anointing from the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry. And the words of the Father to Jesus, and in other gospel accounts it suggests that other people could hear the words of the Father from heaven. And as I said at the beginning, God could have said anything at that point as the Father to Jesus. Yeah, come on, you know, that, now, you, now you've been baptised, go out and get on with it. But he said, this is my son. There was just this overwhelming love that the Father has for the son. It's almost like he's just, he's just amazed. You know, sometimes when, with your own children or friends or family members, you, you just look, I just, I just love this person so much. There was all of that love pouring out yesterday for Mike. It was just so lovely at Mike Milton's Thanksgiving service yesterday. There was just an outpouring of love. Now, that's just a tiny amount of the love that God shows for us and that we, we, we see in this passage. God, God the Father looks at Jesus and just goes, this is my son whom I love. I'm so pleased with him. I'm overwhelming those of you who have got young children at the moment, sometimes I know you'll just look at your children and just go, oh, I just love them so much. Maybe not when they're screaming at three o'clock in the morning, but quite a lot of the time, you just think, I'm just so privileged to have this child. That's how God feels about us. Now, if that doesn't give us a sense of belonging in this world, I don't know what does. To know that we belong to God. That's the beginning of our identity, that we are deeply loved by God. That's what we should begin every day of every year with. I'm loved by God. He's pleased with me even before I get out of bed in the morning, even before I begin this new decade, properly get into the new year. It takes us a little while, doesn't it? We're 12 days into it. We may not feel like we've done very much. But do you know what? God loves us just as we are. That gives us a sense of belonging that means more than anything else that the world can give. We belong to the loving community of the Trinity. 
See, they were already okay. They had a little community going there already, didn't they? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It wasn't as if God was lonely. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit already in that friendship and that relationship, ministering to each other. But God said, let's get them, in on, them in, in on it as well. So he in, invites us into that relationship. Come on, come and join the family. And we belong to God. And we also belong to the church. And that is really important. Because one of the key ways that the world will see a true picture of belonging and community that they're so desperately looking for is when they see the church functioning as it should. And I think by and large we do, that, we do it quite well. We can always do it better. But you know, I, I witness people coming in here for the first time and I talk to them over, over a period of, even just while they've been in one service or over a few weeks, and they say that there's, there's a lovely sense of community here. And I think, good, that's how it should be. <laughs> we should be representing a community that the world can see represents a sense of belonging that God wants them to have. That's what the church should do. That's what the church should be good at. We're all very different. There's, there's, there's different ages and different cultures and different backgrounds, and that's how it should be. That's how the church should be. I'm, I'm delighted that we represent many different countries and, and languages even, and different ages. It's fantastic. And that's a good thing, because we should represent the diversity of the world that God has made. And I think sometimes, I come across this sometimes with Christians, they don't realise that, that God forms us as, as he, he enables us to grow and develop, not always in an easy way, through the people in the church who are different to us. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes Christians might leave the church when relationships get a little bit challenging. And they say, oh, but I fell out with so-and-so, or they said something to me that I didn't like. And you think, actually, God is saying, God might be saying to you, he wants to use that difficult person in your congregation or in the church to, to form you into something different. And, and you might be that difficult person to somebody else. So the thing is, we're all very, di very different, and God puts us together so that we, we rub off each other and we, we lose some of our own arrogance and our pride, and we think, actually, I can learn something from them. They're very different to me, but I can learn something from them. And we represent a community that God wants to give as an example to the rest of the world, say, these are my people, this is what it means to belong. So we have a sense of purpose as Christians, we have a sense of belonging, and finally, freedom. And freedom is important, <coughs> because the Bible says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And we know that, the, that the, on the main part, that's about freedom from sin and the power of sin over our lives. And Jesus says that means we've got to walk a narrow path. We can't follow the broad path that the rest of the world walks because that's just unbridled freedom of doing whatever I feel like at any time of the day or night. And we're saying, no, we need to walk the narrow path which really leads to freedom. Because actually the great paradox of the gospel is that the more we surrender to God's ways and God's law, the freer we become. The more we surrender to God like Jesus did. Jesus was the most free person in the whole world because he was set free by God the Father to bring about that ministry that he did as the Son of God. And every commandment affirmed by Jesus and laid down in the Bible leads to freedom. 
I remember having a conversation once with um, a, a parent years ago. It, we were just wandering around the church, and the, the Ten Commandments are up here. I don't know if, you, if, if you have never been up this far <laughs> in the church, you can walk right up to the end and read the Ten Commandments behind me. And this person was just walking around the church, just looking at different things, and they said, this stuff does, it really doesn't apply anymore, does it? In this day and age, in the 21st century, the Ten Commandments? And I said, oh, I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not prepared to take it down yet, but no, I said, I think it, it does, it does still apply. Actually, the Ten Commandments, not there to, to, to make our lives miserable, but to set us free. You know, so we have, do not steal, do not commit adultery, and the world says, how dare you tell me that I can't do this or I can't do that? But things like stealing and murder and adultery, it's quite obvious really, they don't lead to freedom. They lead to shame and deceit and eventual destruction of our lives. And for most people who look at the laws and the rules that, that God gives in the world, they think, this is going to restrict my freedom. But we know that actually it's how God sets us free to live the lives that he's always wanted us to live. It's a bit like watching, you know, those of you who watch football or rugby or cricket, if the referee is not really paying attention to the rules of the game, the game very quickly descends into chaos, doesn't it? You're watching a football match and the referee ignores a foul or doesn't bother about the offside rule. And don't give me 15 minutes to explain the offside rule. I'll get Jacob or somebody to come up and explain that. But if the rules are not being kept and you're watching the game, it's really frustrating, isn't it? And for the players, it's really frustrating. But if the rules are kept really tightly, then the players are set free to play really well. And the game really takes off because you've got somebody who's keeping the rules really tightly. When you buy a car, you hopefully recognise that it's best to keep to some rules. I once put diesel in my petrol engine. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> it's quite an expensive mistake to make, isn't it? You could just say, well, I've got the freedom to do that if I want. I'm free to put whatever I want in, my, in my, the engine of my car. No, if you, if you stick to the manufacturer's instructions, you'll be free to drive your car wherever you want. Putting diesel in a petrol engine is 200 pounds worth of mistake to get it all taken out again. I won't do that again. At the time we had a diesel car and a petrol car, so I always got confused when I was taking it to, taking it to the petrol station. Loving and obeying God through, through a relationship and through the teaching of Jesus sets us free. The more we can obey him, the more free we become. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus was the most free human being that ever lived. And his submission to being baptised shows his understanding of the need to come under God's authority. So just as I finish, it's more important than ever that we have confidence in the gospel in this generation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The message of the gospel hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. His kingdom will last forever. Jesus remains the way, the truth, and the life. No matter how much people around you might say, there are different ways of, of looking at God, there's different paths to the same God. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No other human being has lived in this world and declared himself to be the Son of God. He is, he was, and he always will be the Son of God the saviour of the world, the king of kings, the prince of peace, wonderful counsellor, mighty God. It's all there in Jesus. We can have confidence in him as our society changes.
And we rightly do need to observe and pay attention to what's going on around us because then we can, when we're talking to people, think, ah, oh, that's why they're talking like that. That's why that, that they've, they've lost their sense of belonging. They've lost their sense of purpose. They think that they can just have unbridled freedom and we can speak into that and live out the gospel in such a way as to point people to the purpose and meaning and freedom that we find in Jesus. So perhaps more than anything at the start of this new year, we need to hear again those words from God the Father to each of us. You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. If we get that bit right, we know what our identity is in Christ. We know that we're deeply loved by the Father. That's the starting point for everything else that he calls us to do. Amen. So we're going to sing... Uh, a little bit now and just ask God to speak to us about the things that we've heard and that uh, the gospel shows us about our purpose, our belonging and our freedom. So faithful a friend
song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the story of Jesus' baptism reminds us of those words of the Father to Jesus, but to each one of us. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And we pray that first and foremost, at the beginning of a new year, a new decade, that each of us would hear that voice speaking to us in a powerful and meaningful way this morning and in these coming days, that before we've set out to do anything, to prove ourselves, that, that we hear that voice that says that we're loved, we're deeply loved by you, our Heavenly Father, that you love us just for who we are, 
that we are your children. And because of that, Lord, we have that sense of belonging. We have that community here as a church of brothers and sisters in Christ. We have that sense of purpose, of belonging to you and being your ambassadors in this world, being your representatives, being called as apostles to go out into the world and to make disciples. That's our calling. That's our purpose. And thank you too, Lord, that you give us freedom. Not unbridled freedom to do whatever we want, but freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame and from judgment. And we thank you for that, Lord. That means more than anything else the world can offer. Help us, Lord, to keep those three in balance in our lives and to be able to witness to the world around us that's so desperately in need of getting that balance right, of knowing that they belong, of knowing they have a sense of purpose and knowing that they have freedom in Christ. So anoint us afresh this morning, Lord, not just with that sense of belonging, but that with that purpose to go into the world as your ambassadors with hope for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And let's sing our final song together.
to live for Christ alone. May that be the calling that we have for this coming year. And so may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Amen. I was looking at Becky on purpose.
Oh, from Erin and Ollie. Yeah, oh, okay. So I, I need, I need Gemma to lift something else for us to stick in. That's why I was a little oh, confused. No, it's, probably the, it's probably the same. It's probably the same thing. 